the things we talk a lot about here is how special this time is, how special it is that, that different people are gathering together to worship the same Jesus. I mean, if you were to look around the room, we have different ages in this room. We have different ethnicities in this room. We have different personalities and backgrounds in this room. And yet we are doing very intimate things together. I don't know if you think about the type of things that we do when we come to church. We, we sing together. We, we pull out our wallets. Some of you write checks still and you, you give together. And you don't do that with, with random strangers who are different than you in our community, but you do that in a place called, called church. And that's why this is so special. There's nothing else like it. It is the diverse, unified body of Christ. Amen? It's a special time that we get to have together as we are all different, serving the same Jesus. And yet while we're different, we have lots of things in common. And one of those things we have in common is this thing called work. You see, most studies show, I looked at a few of them this week, is that the average person over the course of a lifetime will work about 90,000 hours over the course of your lifetime. That's about a third of your life spent working. Now, that, that equation wasn't calculating all the other times that you spend at dinner, getting ready for bed, worrying about work, thinking about work, strategizing about work. You spent a lot of your time, a lot of your life working. Now, some of you think, well, Tim, well, I'm a student. I'm not really working right now. Or you're a stay-at-home parent. I don't really have a job right now. And let me just tell you, and I always say this, if you're a stay-at-home parent, like you don't get paid for that. I get that. But if you did, you would get paid like a million dollars. Right? Amen? Because that's a hard job. That is your work right now. It is work. If you're a student, that's, that's hard. You're navigating maybe a part-time job, maybe work and school and trying to finish all, this, all these uh, assignments and projects that your professor is giving you. That is your work right now. Whatever you do from eight to five or nine to five, that is your work. And you spend a third of your life doing it. And so as believers in Jesus, we have to ask, how do we redeem that time? And yet here's what I know. Many times we come to church and we worship God and maybe we do have our Bibles out and, and we care about worshiping God on a Sunday. And yet on the way home, we throw our Bible in the back seat. And then Monday we go to work and we completely disconnect our work from God. And you think a lot about your boss and you think a lot about your career and you think all of that is bigger than God. And I'm here to tell you today, your work matters to God and God matters to your work. It is worship for the believer in Jesus. Then we don't want to waste a third of our life. We want to worship God with a third of our life. And so we have to ask the question, how do we do that? Because many times in church, I don't know, I grew up in church. I didn't hear a lot of sermons on work. I heard a lot of sermons on other things, but I didn't hear a lot of sermons on work. And so many of us, even as believers in Jesus, right now, if you were to be honest in church today, and you should be, you would say, hey, right now, I'm kind of frustrated with my work. I'm kind of unfulfilled in my work. I mean, Tim, I don't really think about redeeming my work. I think about just retiring from work. Right? It, the reality is, if, if I were to ask you, hey, what's your vision for your work? Many of you in so many words would say it's to one day stop working, right? We're not thinking about re redeeming work. We're thinking about retiring from work. Do you believe God has a bigger vision for your work than that? 
Well, if you don't, you are going to be believing that by the end of this time, okay? And so we're going to look at this together. So Colossians 3, look at the Bible with me. We're talking about work matters today. Colossians 3, starting in verse 22. And as we read this, I'm going to give you a little preface, a little caveat. You're going to see bondservants and masters. You're going to see slaves, depending on your translation, and masters. And it's fitting today that we're going to have to do a little bit of work to get to talk about work. And so I'm just going to preview that for you. We're going to talk about slavery for a few minutes. And then we're going to talk about how these principles that Paul gives us apply to our work today. Everybody with me? Okay, here we go. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 22, it says this. Bondservants. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right, so we got to talk about work, but we first have to talk about slavery in the Bible. If you've been a part of our church for any length of time, you know we don't like to skip over controversial issues. We like to to read them and understand them and teach you how to be biblically minded in the world. And so maybe you have some of the questions I'm going to address about slavery, or maybe somebody else you know who doesn't know Jesus, but you're in relationship, has some of these questions, and I want to equip you as your pastor to have those conversations from God's work. And so just briefly, we're going to address slavery. The, f- the first question I want to ask is, why does God tell slaves how to be better slaves instead of just getting rid of slavery? Second question I want to briefly ask is, how does the Bible actually speak to slavery? And so just to give you some context, the, the, the first century slavery that we're kind of reading in this context about is different than slavery in our country in 18th, 19th century, even today. Here's a few ways. As slavery in our country historically has been race-based, lifelong, and done by force. People are kidnapped, they're, they're brought here, and they have a lifelong commitment as a slave. They don't have any say in that, and it's typically been dependent on a certain race. First century slavery, the kind of slavery that it was happening in Rome as the time Paul writes this was, was different. Not good, hear me, but it was, it was different. In that day, in Paul's day, it was possible for a slave to own property, to achieve social advancement, even be released or purchase his or her freedom. That many times in that society, someone would voluntarily put themselves as a slave or a bond servant so that they could pay off debt. Some families who who weren't in a class where they were able to to work and provide themselves, this was a way for them to provide, for their family, to have shelter with their their master, to have medical care, to pay off debt again. And so some people would voluntarily put themselves in slavery, maybe even to gain Roman citizenship at one point. Again, not good, but just different than what we typically think about as 18th, 19th century slavery, even slavery today. 
And so as Paul writes this, he's writing to these kinds of people. That's why the ESV, the translation we use, it doesn't actually use slaves. It uses bond servants. Right? It even changes the language because it's, it's different then than it is now. And some of you think, okay, Tim, but yeah, uh, it's still slavery. Like, why wouldn't Paul just rebuke this in the name of Jesus? Like, why aren't these four or five verses, why aren't they just condemning slavery? And here's a couple reasons I, I think why. By some estimations, over half of the Roman world was in some kind of slavery. So you got to think, if Paul just writes a letter and says, hey, slavery is an abomination, like, get out now, that's half of the Roman civilization that are in a reality that maybe they actually couldn't get out of, and yet Paul just ideally says, get out of this. Well, what do they do while they're in it? And also, all of the people who were in poverty, who were stepping into this mode of paying off debt, of providing for their family with medical care, with shelter, and they could not do this in any other way, then he would actually be hurting those people, not actually helping them. So that's not fully exhaustive, but, but maybe that answers a little bit of your first question. Why does Paul pe- tell people how to be better slaves instead of getting rid of slavery as a whole? Here's the second question. How does the Bible, in fact, speak to slavery? Because he doesn't really speak to it here. But how does the Bible as a whole speak to slavery? I'm going to give you a couple things. You should write these verses down and go back to them. 1 Corinthians 7, 21 through 23 Paul encourages bondservants to gain their freedom. He says they are free in the Lord. He says outright, really plainly, he says, do not become bondservants of men. 1 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul is listing off sins. He's, He's listing off things that do not fit with sound doctrine, that do not fit with Christianity, that do not fit with Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, for the lawless and disobedient, ungodly and profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers for for murder, the, the sexually immoral, those practicing homosexuality for slave traders or enslavers and liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine of Jesus. You need to know, God does not endorse slavery. The church does not endorse slavery. This slavery is a horrible, deplorable thing, inconsistent with the character of God, inconsistent with the freedom Jesus Christ came into the world to bring humanity. Do you see that? The the Bible does actually speak to slavery. I had a chance to go to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. in the fall of last year. And they actually have a slave Bible on display for us to see. And and this was used in in those times to to actually prevent people that were in slavery from reading the full uh, account of God's word. They cut out about maybe 90% of God's word because they were worried about the Bible promoting freedom and inciting a revolution against masters. So they cut it out and they called it the slave Bible. The Bible endorses freedom, not not slavery. And so Paul here is, is giving instructions. He's actually bringing dignity back to slaves in a way that culture was 
not. So I know that probably doesn't answer every question you have about slavery, but hopefully, hopefully it answers a little bit of your questions. I would say, go read about this on your own. Uh, don't let this be the end of this conversation. conversation. Let it be the start of one. Uh, go read about people who, who read the Bible and who helped bring uh, an abolitionist movement in slavery, people like William Wilberforce, people like John Newton, people like Martin Luther King. Those were all people led by the word of God that helped to bring an end to slavery. And so go look at this on your own. But what I want to do today is bring these principles that Paul highlights and transfer, transfer them to our work today. And so that's what we're going to do. So here, here's our first point. As we look to redeem our work, to see it matter for the glory of God, here's our first point from this text, is that we need to know who we really work for. We need to know who we really work for. Now, some of you may say, well, Tim, I, I know who I work for. I mean, I, I get their emails. <laughs> I got a few waiting in my inbox right now that I'm thinking of how I should respond to. Some of you say, well, Tim, but no, the, the, her name is on the website. Like I know who I work for. Her, her, her name is on the door. Like I know who I work for. But as we look at this text, and I always want you to look at the Bible with me and see what it says, we're going to see that, that we have somebody earthly who we work for, but we also have a, a heavenly master. We also have an ultimate boss. Look at the text with me. I think you'll see this. Verse 22. Paul says, we obey earthly masters or bosses, but he says, we fear the Lord. We respect our, our earthly boss, but we revere our ultimate boss and God. Verse 23, he says, we work for the Lord, not for men. Verse 24, he says, from the Lord, you receive an inheritance. He says, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1, chapter 4, he says, even masters and bosses, they too have a master in heaven. So listen, today, your boss may think they run the show. They don't. God ultimately runs the show. Everybody submits to somebody. If you're a boss in this room, most of what Paul is going to instruct us is towards employees, people who are under a boss. But you need to know, if you are a boss, you are still under an ultimate boss. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? So everybody has a boss. We're all on the same playing field, whether you're a CEO or whether you work in a, a cube. And so Paul wants to make that clear. You have an ultimate boss in heaven, not your earthly boss. And so some of you might say, well, Tim, that's helpful in church. Like that's a cute kind of Sunday school answer, like God's my ultimate boss, right? Okay. But how does that help me on a street level? How does that help me on Monday when my boss is asking me for my TPS reports? Office space reference, anybody? Okay, I heard a, heard a few chuckles. Thank you for being with me on that. I'm not endorsing the movie, okay. Uh, it's a great movie about work, though. Uh, but, but when your boss is sending you those nasty emails... How is God being your ultimate boss actually going to help you? When your boss is not respecting your work-life balance, right? some of you, when your boss is not acknowledging your giftedness, right? Some of you feel that, right? How does this, God being your ultimate boss, help that? Some of you are thinking, well, I know how it helps it. I'm going to go in tomorrow and you're already picturing the scene, like your boss has given you demands and projects due on a certain date. And you're listening. Listen, my pastor, don't do that, okay? <laughs> my pastor said, God's my boss, not you. 
That's not the application of this message. Let me just tell you that right now. Okay? That's not the application of this message. But, but I really do think, and I'm going to give you some practical things to write down. If you were to understand as a believer in Jesus that he holds it all together, and that's not just eternally, that's vocationally. He is your ultimate boss. I do believe that will transform the way you work with your, your earthly boss. Okay? So here's a few things. If you are to get and understand that God is your ultimate boss, here's verse 22, you will obey and respect your earthly boss. Now, many of you, this is not the clarity you were hoping for. (laughs) And here's what I want to do. I do want to give you a couple of exceptions. If we have an earthly boss, but we also are to obey our, our heavenly ultimate boss, what does that look like? And I imagine some of us have some questions. I'm going to try to answer a couple of those exceptions with that. You don't obey your earthly boss when it causes you to disobey your heavenly boss. Okay? So, an example, a couple examples. Uh, Your boss asks you to wine and dine your clients at a strip club. Do you say yes to that? Easy answer, no. Right? Like, that would be sinful. That would be disobeying your ultimate boss. Amen? That's easy answer, like you say no to that. Well, Tim, what if I lose my job? You say no to that. You have an ultimate boss in heaven. He's in charge of your reward, Paul tells us. He has your inheritance. And so you trust him. You trust him with your salvation. Why not trust him with your vocation? So if your your ultimate boss is your ultimate boss in those kinds of scenarios, if your boss, your earthly boss, is asking you to manipulate finances or abuse people in ways that dishonor Christ, do you say yes to that? No. No. Why? Because that, well, that's disobeying your ultimate boss, to obey your earthly boss. And this this one's going to be a little bit more convicting because I think it applies to a lot of us. Is your boss, if your boss is asking you to work 60 to 70 to 80 hours to the neglect of your family, to the neglect of what we read last week, Pastor Rick talked about how we relate to one another as husband and wife, how we relate to our kids, that we're called, we have to obey God and how we relate to these important relationships in our life. If, if God is, is calling us to, to love our wife sacrificially as Jesus loves the church, can you do that if you work 80 hours a week? No. So do you need to disobey your earthly boss? In that case, I would say yes. Because your first ministry, your first obligation is to your family, not to your earthly boss. God makes that clear, and we obey God even when our earthly boss might say otherwise. And then here's another exception. Do you always have to obey your boss like like Paul says that in everything? Yes, while he's your boss, while she's your boss. But if you quit and take another job, that is freedom, okay? Okay. And you're not obligated to stay with your boss forever. And so some of you are like, Tim, you don't know my situation. Like, I can't obey my earthly boss. Like, it's a difficult circumstance. I'm in a a no-win situation. Then I would say, you can start looking for another job. But right now, while you're still in that job, obey your boss. Honor, respect your boss. Here's why you do that. Because there is purpose in your work as a believer. And the moment that you obey a boss, even that's difficult, listen, you will be a witness at your work. Do you know why? 
because that counteracts everything in our culture in regard to work. That, that counteracts everything in culture, period. That our culture is not one where we say, hey, is, is life difficult for you right now? Is your work difficult for you right now? Is your boss difficult for you right now? That, then you need to, to humbly uh, submit yourself to them. Just obey them. That's, our culture is screaming the opposite. Hey, you need to go in and tell them off. Hey, you need to write about them online. That's what the culture says. So when you live out what Christ says and you actually, your coworkers are coming, hey, why, you were kind of respectful to our, our CEO today in that meeting. Like, he's a jerk. You know that, right? He, he talks about, he's not going to give you that promotion. You know that, right? And when you have the opportunity as a believer in Jesus to say, yeah, I know that, but he's not my ultimate boss. God is. And God has my reward, not him. And God writes my story, not him. Do you think that will stand out? Amen. And you can be a witness in your work. You can be a witness with a third of your life just by doing that. Right? And I haven't even gotten to like sharing the gospel with your, your coworkers. Like AC is going to give that to y'all next week. I'm just saying, just be humble and, and submissive at work and you can be a witness for Christ. Amen. And so if you are to ultimately obey your ultimate boss, you have to read scripture and obey what he says. And he just told you to obey your earthly boss. Are there exceptions? Yes. Are every one of you in one of those exceptions? Maybe not. Okay. Is that helpful? All right, good. Outside of those things, obey your boss. Uh, here's another thing. If you realize God is your ultimate boss, you will realize you weren't just hired for a job. You were created for work. You'll realize you weren't just hired for a job, you were created for work. Do you see the difference? You see, you have to go back to the beginning of our Bibles. We see God, actually, he worked, right? He, he worked six days, rested the seventh day. He created the universe. See, God worked. You were made in his image. And it's so clear in Genesis chapter 2 that God tells Adam, the first human, he says, hey, you're going to work. You're going to work this garden. You're going to cultivate it. And I always think what's crazy about that is this was Genesis 2. This was pre-fall, pre-sin. Some of you think your work, your job is evidence of the fall. <laughs> and let me just tell you, some parts of it are, but not all of it, right? Some of you think, well, like just that one day when I can retire and like lay down with the sheep and the lion, like that's heaven, no, 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 you were actually in a perfect world, Genesis 1 and 2, pre-sin, they were wired for work. And so you need to see your work that way. And some of you think, well, Tim, my work's not that exciting. It's kind of mundane. I don't know that it's making a difference. It is because you were created for work. God, the one who designed everything, designed you to work, to bring him glory, to bring edification to other people through your work. And we need to reframe our work in that way. I love the way pastor author Tim Keller says it. He says it this way, the Christian faith gives us a new conception of work as the means by which God loves, God cares for his world through us. You see, Work for the believer is, is worship. Like the way you work, the way you speak to your coworkers, 
the good work that you do, the way you work with excellence at your craft. God wired that in you to, to bring love to society, to bring meaning and purpose to society, to help your community flourish. God put that in you. And so when you operate that way, like you get joy because he set it up that way. You help others because he set it up that way. And yet again, many times as Christians, we don't see work as worship like that. We see this as worship, singing on a Sunday morning. We say maybe even giving of our tithes and offering, giving for the Easter offering. Well, that's, that's worship and responding to God's word and taking, that's worship and then we leave and we toss the Bible in the backseat of our car. And then we think, well, now this is work. That was worship. This is work. And let me just tell you, I can preach all day, every day. But what the most powerful message to our community about who Jesus is, is not going to be on a Sunday. It's going to be Monday through Friday through your, your work. Your work is worship. Amen? It is. Every word you speak, every action you take. That is what's powerful before a community that needs to know that a God actually created them, wired them for work. And so we have that opportunity in a third of our lives to worship God. Work doesn't have to be meaningless. It doesn't have to be mundane. God can redeem it in your life for his glory. That's what we understand when we understand God is our ultimate boss. Here's our... Second point, some of you are thinking, I think we've had more points than that. Maybe so, maybe so. But here's our second point and kind of a big overarching thing. If we understand that God is our ultimate boss, we will work with integrity and trust God with the impact. We'll work with integrity and trust God with the impact. Verse 22, look back at that verse with me. He says to work not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Uh, That phrase eye service is kind of interesting. We think maybe Paul made it up. There's no other word like that in the original language in the New Testament. But but Paul is talking about this idea of people pleasing, which he also uses. He says, don't work that way, but instead work with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. He also says in verse 23, work heartily. That word heartily, it literally means from the soul, Like work passionately. It's not just saying work hard, like have sweat coming off your face when you're working. Maybe that's part of it. But it's also saying, hey, work from your soul. Be passionate about what you do. Whether you're a creator or someone who just stewards work, like this is the way you should work. Not in eye service, people pleasing. This is how we redeem our work. This is how we work with integrity and trust God with the impact. And he says that little phrase, look at it again with me. He he says to fear God. Again, God is your ultimate boss. We revere him. You may respect your earthly boss, but you revere your ultimate boss. And and some of you say, well, Tim, how how does that connect to, to working with integrity? Well, think about this. If you don't understand that God is your boss, that he's the sovereign creator and sustainer of your life, that, that he writes your story, that he writes your vocational story, your relational story, your salvation story. If you don't understand that, then you will think not what verse 24 says, that God has your inheritance, that God take care, takes care of your reward. You'll think your earthly boss does that. And if you don't fear God as your ultimate boss, 
you'll start to fear your earthly boss and you'll have misplaced fear. And you'll start to have an anxiety or an ambition that will lead you to people-pleasing and eye service with your work, not integrity, not consistency, not passionate about your work because you'll be fearing your boss. See, some of you right now, you're thinking of situations right now like, well, Tim, if I don't let my boss know how good of a job I'm doing, if I don't people please in some aspect, if I don't work those 80 hours out of this anxiety that I won't please my boss, like somebody else is gonna climb that ladder and the way it works in America is they're gonna kick me down while they do it. Like somebody else is gonna get the promotion. Then I won't be able to provide for my kids. Like then my kid won't get, marry a good person. Then they won't go to college. Then I won't have grant, then they'll be in prison, Tim. Like if, I, if I'm not anxious and, and ambitious about my job, people pleasing, like it's gonna ruin my whole family tree. Some of, this, is where we, this is how we work. And what I would ask you is, are you fearing the Lord in that? Are you fearing man? Obey your boss, fear God. Respect your boss, revere the Lord Almighty. He writes your story. He's gonna take care of your inheritance, of your reward. You don't worry about what other people see you do. You worry about the good that you are doing. You Like hone your craft. Do you, Christians should do work with excellence. Like don't confuse this. Like many people in like society, they don't hire a Christian, they're lazy. No, it should be the exact opposite. We should understand we have an ultimate boss. We work with excellence. So, so whatever, I don't know what you're doing right now. Get better at it. Don't get better at making your boss see that you're better at it. That's exhausting and unsustainable. I, it is. Some of you know this. You can't keep that up, not over the long haul. What can you keep up? Working hard, honing your craft. That you will actually enjoy. Don't work so hard to get noticed. Just work hard to be good at what you're doing. Uh, my brother-in-law is uh, in a band called Flyleaf. And if you're not a music fan, that's okay. But in 2009, they put out an album that eventually went platinum. And if you don't know music, that means they sold a million copies of that record. We have one, my wife and I, on our wall in our living room. It's amazing. And my brother-in-law plays guitar and started playing the guitar when he was in the eighth grade. And you can ask my wife, his sister, he played that guitar into the freaking ground, okay? That's like all he ever did. And after school, he'd come home, play the guitar. When he graduated high school, he didn't go to college. He just kept on playing the guitar. He formed bands. He would play at fifth quarter in Texas after the fourth quarter of the football game and just get a band together and play because he got paid? No, because people noticed him? No, it was in Holland, Texas, where my wife grew up, which is basically a cornfield. <laughs> Seriously, you drive up to her house and there's a cornfield and the high school and that's it. Okay, like nobody was noticing him. The people pleasing wouldn't work. And yet he's honing his craft from eighth grade on every year, year by year, getting better at his job. One day, he gets to play at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And there's a record label there that they didn't know was gonna be there. Afterward, they sign them. Eventually, they get to do this for a career. Eventually, they sold a million copies, okay? 
And some of you are rethinking like um, music lessons for your kid right now. <laughs> that, will, will everybody have that story? No. But hey, where's the joy? Where, where's the, the honor in your work? Is it worrying about people noticing you? Or is it actually honing your craft? Do you believe God writes your story? Do you believe God takes care of your inheritance? Do you believe God takes care of your reward? Or do you, have you put your boss over God functionally? Have you put your career over God functionally? Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. See, God is your ultimate boss. You trust God with your salvation. Will you trust him with your vocation? Listen, some of y'all, you're worried about being noticed at your job. Some of you who are students, you're like, I want to get up. Like maybe you want to do ministry. You want to get on a stage like this. Some of you, you want to do music and you're like waiting for that record label to sign you. Some of you are waiting on that promotion and you desperately want to get noticed. And much of your anxiety and your ambition Monday through Friday is shaped by that. And it is exhausting and it is unsustainable. And it's also the reality of you don't need to be noticed right now. Like, listen, I, I was a pastor. My first job out of ministry, I was an associate pastor at a church plant in Austin, Texas. And I was consistently frustrated that there weren't more people in the room to listen to my sermons. And I, I, I wanted to people please. And I wanted to do eye service. I was kind of, how do we get more people in here? And let me just tell you, like, uh, don't go find those sermons online. And let me just say, I feel sorry for those poor, like bless their hearts. Like I didn't need to be noticed back then. I like, God, thank God that he's sovereign. I needed time to, God was preparing me to hone my craft. So worry less about being noticed. Worry more about doing an actual good job and enjoying it in the process. Amen? Okay, here's the last question to convict us all. <laughs> If people only saw the way you worked, what would they know about who you ultimately work for? If people only saw the way you worked, what would they know about the one you actually work for? What would they know about God? A third of your life is spent at work. If all people saw was you at work, what would they learn about the character and nature and the person and work of God from the way that you worked. Now I realize as I say that some of us, we are convicted because we, we have disconnected work from our worship, work from our witness. You're thinking, Tim, don't ask the people that I work with. Don't ask my boss if I'm a Christian. Don't ask what they've learned about my theology from my vo vocation. And some of you are thinking, Tim, I, I've failed at this. I have pursued an, an anxiety and an ambition I pursued people pleasing with my work. I mean, I've run over some people. I, I've, I, I've, want, I've wanted simply people just to notice me, not notice God. And if that's you, you're in a good place today because Jesus redeems people like you and people like me who work with unhealthy motivations, who don't work hard as for the Lord. That, that God is in the business. This is good news, people. God is in the business of redeeming people who would right now say and admit, I haven't worked for the glory of God and the edification of other people. If that's you today, Jesus Christ died for you. 
He, he rose again for you. And not just for you eternally, but for you vocationally. He wants to redeem your life and your life includes your work. And so today you can admit before a good God that I have not honored him with my work and he will rescue you out of that and he will start to redeem your work for his glory and your good. And so we're gonna end today with taking communion because we're gonna remind ourselves of that truth as we take the bread, as we dip it, as we take the wine or the juice or just the juice, I think. We're gonna remind ourselves Jesus died to secure your eternity, but also to secure and redeem your vocation and your work, right? And so I'm gonna pray. Uh, we're gonna respond. We're gonna wait till everybody gets the elements. So when you get the elements, just hold them. Uh, and then we'll respond and take communion together. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, what a convicting message. What a difficult message. I just confess that to you, even with the slavery components, just personally, uh, man, there's a lot there. And God, so I just pray right now that you would use it. Uh, God, my eloquent words aren't enough. Um, Holy Spirit, would you use this word? Would you use it to help redeem our work? Uh, specifically, I, I pray for Phoenix Bible Church that we would be the type of church, we would be the type of people that others in our community would interact with. Whether it's with an attorney that goes to our church, a doctor, a student, a stay-at-home mom a programmer, and they would interact with them in that work, but they would understand that their work is not just work, it's worship unto a, a holy God who, who loves them. And God, people that, that interact us would, would see it that way as a result even of this, this message today. That we'd glorify you with our work, that we'd bring good to society because of our work, that we would not underestimate you and overestimate our earthly bosses. God, we would see you as over the universe. You hold it all together and you hold our work together. And we would trust you. God, I pray some of us this morning, we would just confess that we haven't used our work to honor you. God, I pray all of us in some way would repent and make some changes to our work schedule, make some changes to our work habits to bring more glory to you, to help our communities flourish. In your name, Jesus, that's what we pray for. Amen.